Berkeley, KFCF 88.1 in Fresno, K248BR 97.5 in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. It's 3.30. Time for Cover to Cover with Javelin Richards. Stay tuned. Welcome to Cover to Cover, open book, Javelin's Bistro. Now, I want to say hello to you and to welcome you to the show. We're trying to get my guest on the line today. I actually have uh, Lachelle Smith from the Minority Report, the Black Minority Report, and she's a blogger. And so I'm hoping that we'll be able to get her on the line uh, to uh, share her blog and uh, what her intentions are with the work that she does out here in the world. But thus far, we're having a hard time getting her on the phone, so I apologize for that. In the meantime, this is probably, let's see, we're coming up into December. We'll have one more show, Joblin's Bistro, in December. And what I'd like to uh, open up to the listening audience is that if you have thoughts that you would like to hear on Cover to Cover Joblin's Bistro in the future for the 2018, I would certainly like to hear that. And you can write me at Joblin at org, And that would mean... So let me tell you a little bit about what I do. I cover theater. I cover film. I cover literature. I cover blogs. I cover people that we sometimes don't hear about in mainstream media, that they're doing their work. They may be self-published. They may have a smaller venue that they're working at, that that they don't have access as much as a, a lot of people do. And those voices are important, particularly as we move into a deeper level, I would like to think of our consciousness out in the world. And particularly on the French. So I'm very interested in that kind of work for Cover to Cover, Javelin's Bistro. And again, if you do have people or your work that's coming up, do let me know. For myself, I uh, will, in February, I'm going to be working with a group of artists. And with that group of artists, we're going to be doing a piece called Evidence of Love. And in Evidence of Love, we're going to be looking at people who are living in the intersectionality of life. And we're going to look at their resilience skills. And they're going to be doing their recipe, uh, the recipes that they have acquired in struggling, surviving, moving through the world. And they're going to write about those pieces, perform those pieces to show what what have they learned. And in some ways, I call it the people who are at the back of the bus. So if you're sitting, if you're in life and you're sitting in the back of the bus, now I'm just using that as a metaphor, then you have a chance to see the driver. You have a chance to see those people who come on the bus and sit in the front seats. And you have a point of view that is very different that the driver doesn't see. And for a long time in our culture since human history, there have been people who, again, as a metaphor, who has been riding on the back of the bus. And I am inviting a group of artists to actually come out and share their work and what they have learned from riding on the back of the bus, spiritually and emotionally, and what they've learned, what resilient skills can they offer the audience that we can uh, 
hold on to to move our own human evolution, our own consciousness forward. And why is that important? That's important because as we are, I think we all globally are figuring out ways in our humanity in the 21st century of how to be connected to one another or why we are disconnected from one another, why we behave in ways in which, and I say we, because it's easy to say them, but I say we, and so that we all kind of own that in one way or another. So we're all trying to think about ways in which we can figure out how to be the best human spirit we can in our daily lives and to one another. And I'm not speaking about it from a hallmark point of view, but more from a very practical point of view. I'm not speaking about it that you hand uh, someone who is hungry a, a sandwich that is wonderful or that you hand someone homeless something that is wonderful, those things we should do. But I'm talking about from a place where fundamentally we we want more for everyone around us, that we can function collectively as a whole, that we move in our lives as as human beings that want everyone to be happy and whatever that, that takes to make them happy. And I th- think that recipe can sometimes be found inside of people who have again, metaf- metaphorically speaking, been at the back of the bus. They can see things. and I'm, So in February, the show, and I'll keep you um, updated, it'll be Evidence of Love. And it's six performers that found their way to me and I uh, found my way to them and they're going to tell their stories. Uh, for instance, one woman whose story she would share from the back of the bus is a part was a part of the healthcare system and she was having some difficulties and went to her primary to share that and because she this is what she believes that because she is a woman and a woman of color that her her opinion in her own body in the medical field was not listened to from her own experience and that from the medical field's perspective they have their own obligation of how to treat patients in the time frame and they have from point A to B so if you have this symptom then you go to B and if they have if B doesn't work you go to C so it's sort of a chain of events but they weren't listening really to her so everybody wasn't on the same page the consequence of that is that uh, what her initial suspicion in her body, it was true. But at that point, when everyone recognized it was true, she was in surgery and she lost a kidney from that experience. And she still had the, the problem of origin. And part of the consequence of that was just not losing a kidney but the possibility of being a mother so she's going to share that story from the back of the bus and so what that means how does she given those circumstances find what resilience and not just resilience but what does she birth out of that experience and she's going to share that on stage and then so that'll happen so that's an example of what i want to bring forth 
And so, again, we're still waiting for Lachelle A. Smith. Part of, I think, the the challenge um, getting her on the phone is that we were actually scheduled to do an interview maybe a week or so ago, but uh, the station, we had a... We did the the fundraising for all our sister stations, so that kind of threw us off. And although I did contact her to let her know, or we would be on the air together today, then that could have, who knows, she may have misplaced that on her calendar. Uh, But just to tell you a little bit about Lachelle, you can go to minorityreporttvshow.com, and she's on the East Coast, so it's uh, probably almost 7 o'clock her time. Her TV show focuses, and it's one of those not mainstream TV, so she has a chance to uh, interview people that may not make mainstream TV, people who are having their own business and tell, get, telling, interviewing about how to make that successful. Uh, she's doing interviews with children who are actually writing books and we've seen that in the media they're writing books about what they want to hear i had a chance to listen this morning to a couple of her programs when i went to again minorityreporttv.com and and one it was a little boy who said what he wanted how he wanted to experience his childhood so he was imagining that and then decided to write about that. Like, how do I want my childhood to be? Can you imagine actually sitting down and in your consciousness at, let's say, five or six or seven years old to imagine what your childhood, what you want it to be about? So you have like these, you have six years of being a child. You've gone from, from the to walking, crawling to walking and then to, preschool wherever whatever your journey was and you actually have a conversation like okay you're six years old how do you want your childhood to go so i posed that question to myself i posed that question to you if you were six years old could go back in that time how would you want your childhood to go so lachelle smith actually he wrote the book so probably self-published which is a really wonderful industry now that makes us accessible that makes it accessible to us as, uh, who would like to write and actually that reminds me I'm going to tell you a story too uh, so he wrote it and what a wonderful thing to hand to you know as I'm thinking about it what a wonderful thing to hand to your parents or your caregiver to write a story about how you want to be raised from this moment forward. Like, what information do you have? That's a good holiday gift. And I think about, I do contract teaching. And in the teaching, I do theater, literacy, performance arts, storytelling to support children in embracing literacy. So we do all these wonderful games and fun stuff. And, and fun stuff meaning that, you know, I get together and we decide what's going to be fun for the day. I don't come in and say, this is going to be fun. But we use storytelling as a tool. And we use storytelling as a tool I do as a facilitator that where they can embrace that, they embrace the art of storytelling to tell their story. And in the midst of that, realize that they are engaged in literacy, that they're engaged in that. So that's a part of what I do. So I think what I'm going to do actually is the next time I'm on assignment at a school, I'm going to ask the students 
what if they could decide from that moment to write a story, how would they like their childhood to go? We can break that up in little chunks uh, for them to like, oh, how would you like it to go from for the next two months or your summer or your vacation? I think it's, if there's parents listening, you can also uh, do that with your um, children. Uh, they can even tell the, the old story of how they would want their childhood to go f- uh, over the holiday break, do that, sit down uh, under the tree or however you do it, Kwanzaa, the dinner table, and just talk about that. So as you see in this moment, since I don't have my actual guest on, I'm going to just share different stories with you. So this is Welcome to Javelin's Bistro. You're listening to Javelin on 94.1 KPFA, <clears throat> cover to cover, and my guest, and I didn't have a backup guest for today, so then I am going to just share stories with you. So here's one that I want to share with you that uh, I was actually talking to um, a, a woman that I has, a, she has a business in the law district of Oakland as a copy center. And I've been going to her for maybe about three years to get work done, uh, copies done. And we share story, which is most of what we do as people anyway. So there's a story we were sharing. I was in Budapest, Hungary, a few years ago. And this is called the story, the name of the story is called The Book. The Book. I was living in Budapest, Hungary. And my neighbor, Hungarian Jew, would come and bring me food. When I went to Budapest, I didn't know anyone. I didn't speak Hungarian. I had never been to Budapest. I had never left the country. But I thought that it was important for me to leave the country to experience something different. Not for any romantic reasons or just to to do it. Because that's what we as people are meant to do, to do. And I'm not the kind of woman that likes to just go out and be and do a vacation. That's never been attractive in my mind. And maybe it's because... Growing up in my family story, it's um, eight children, five brothers, two sisters, and lots of cousins at times, my grandparents, my mother, my father. And when we left, and this was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I was born and raised, when we went somewhere, (laughs) it wasn't vacation. It was to go see family. Family was Arkansas. And so we traveled. We traveled the roads if we, uh, we drove or the train. And we was going to see somebody. See somebody that somebody loved. And I remember the first time we went, it was to see my great-grandmother and my mother was so in love with my great-grandmother that when she would tell us stories about her it would not take long before our eyes would tear up it was not long before the missing her was showing her hands she would begin to rub her knees, her thighs, and look off in the distance and tell us the story of Big Mama. 
her big mama. And we had never met her at that point. This is the first travel story instead of a vacation. So when it was time to see her as children, we were already filled up with all these images and stories. And we had never been to the South, period. So we were city children, sidewalks and backyards and tall buildings the smell of the breweries and Milwaukee's known for beer. (laughs) We were used to taverns on every other corner, doors open. (laughs) You're on your way to school and the tavern's open, the door opens, it's all dark inside and you hear people laughing and screaming and stumbling out and your family say things to you like you better not end up like one of them women. <laughs> and quite frankly, the women that would stumble out would stumble out in high heels. When I say stumble out, it was lush, you say, just a little bit rocky. And don't worry, I'm going to go back to the story of the book. But I wanted to share with you how I got to Budapest and why was I stayed there as opposed to vacation. And now I've gotten caught up in this story, so I hope somebody's enjoying the story. <laughs> so the women that would stumble out the tavern, kind of moving on those hills, rocking on those hills and laughing and loud perfume and and goodness knows it was before uh, allergy sensitivities to smells because we would have been done in perfume and colorful clothes that was tight and pulling and pushing all at the same time eyelashes and they always had something to say to the kids because we were standing there staring Stop on the way to school, going to be late for school, going to have to tell the teacher why we late. And you can't really say, because I was standing at the tavern watching them folks and the door open. When the door opened, I stopped because you can't help but stop when you're a child and a door opens and it's the door to the to. That, that place that's bad and you better not end up like one of them women. You better not look at them. Look at them. Never said you better not act like none of men, huh? There you go. And so that was the world we grew up in. Cement, backyards, tall buildings, um, taverns on every other corner, grocery stores with candy. That's all we noticed. So by the time my mother said we're going to go to the south, and it wasn't like, oh, we're going on vacation. We're going to see, we're going to see my, my grandmother. And her eyes would tear up again, and I, her hands would rub her thighs and knees. So when we, we got there from the train station, driving in the car, we had all these stories inside of our five, six-year-old heads. And there is something for those of you who've ever been camping or been on a country road that you know what I'm talking about when I say it was country dark. It was no street lights. It was country dark. And to a child to be driving inside of darkness like that, 
That could be very interesting, and I don't know what my memories were, but it was interesting. All that anticipation inside my stomach about Big Mama. And when we arrived, we knew we had arrived because the lights in the house, the only lights on the road, and stumbling out in darkness and being guided by my mama's voice, hold hands, get your brother's hand, get your sister's hand, and hearing inside her voice the tearfulness of this hello she'd been waiting on, and the door opening and Big Mama stepping out, and the light behind her, long legs, lean and tall, And finally, when we inside of that house, the quietness and her looking over each and every one of the children that was born to her granddaughter, looking in our faces, tilting our heads. And now in hindsight, I think she was probably looking for her cousins, her mama, her brother, who had passed down inside our cheekbones, our lips, our eyebrows, the follicles of our hair. And so we stayed. We stayed for several months. Wasn't so there was no such thing as vacations and everywhere we ever went, we would go to somebody that you loved and you just hung out. We learned about running down a country road. We learned chickens because in school you open up a school book and the teacher started talking about little red hen off a book but now we was right there on the road with the hens seeing the bulls and hearing the stories all of that wonderfulness you listen to Javelin Richards on 94.1 KPFA at Javelin's Bistro, cover to cover. My guest is not here, so I am my guest. I'm in my head. My eyes are closed, and I'm telling you stories. Telling you stories. So by the time I decided I was going to leave the country, I was having lunch with some colleagues. I was, at that time, I was um, teaching at... The Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, ITP, which turned over to Sophia University. I was adjunct faculty there in the Women in Spirituality program. And I had just ended a position over in Alameda where I was a family advocate activist, not activist really, but family, but I, family um, advocate. Although there is activism a part of that when you're you're going up against systems to support families. And that contract had ended. My work was with zero to five, working with cho- families with children. Yeah. And so anyway, I was that contract ended because the yeah, it just ended. doesn't matter why. And good turns, but it ended. And so I'm talking with the other faculty members, my colleagues, and I'm saying, well, that's ended, so... Uh, as a writer, I, you know, I'm going to write and I'm just curious about some things. And I said, well, why? And I said, I want to leave the country. I said, I want to leave. I want to go. I want to see things. And so one of my colleagues said to me, why don't you go to Budapest, Hungary? And I was like, <laughs> first of all, what is that? 
<laughs> and we talked about it, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. Yes is one of my favorite words. So I go over there, and uh, I rent a flat. And going back to my neighbor, going back to the story of the book. So I'm over there, and my neighbor Eva, Hungarian Jew, her sister owned the flat that I was living in. And I have really warm memories even now as I share this story. She would come by and bring me f- food that she had cooked. And even the first night I arrived, actually, I met her sister who owned the flat, and Eva was there, and we had to do the keys and all the details. They had food sitting there (laughs) waiting on me, and that was fascinating. Like, I have never rented a space where the person who owned the space had food and details that I might enjoy, so that was beautiful in and of itself. But as we got to know each other, she told me a story which I'm going to share to you, and it's all about the book. She said that when she was growing up, her mother uh, told, uh, shared with her that she, that she, Eva, as a little girl, had an uncle who had died in the Holocaust. So this is her mother's baby brother, and she said he died. And that Eva said that all while she was growing up, her uncle was alive in her mother's stories, everything that that he ever did that she remembered and that even to that day she spoke of her uncle as if she had met him because she met him through her mother's story so I'm sitting there with Eva and I'm listening to this and I'm telling her stories of the south and my grandmother's stories from the south and my daddy's stories from the south and my mama's stories from the south and the challenges living in the south and segregation etc and Eva's telling me the stories of being Hungarian Jew and finally our stories collide gently and dance together and I'm learning that that is that oppression goes all over in different ways and she says to me she says you know that everyone should have a a, a, a book and I'm, she says I want to show you my book she gets up and she leaves and I'm thinking okay it's the bible and then I think oh geez I'm not okay I'm not religious so I'm going I'm, I'm going I'm going to be in trouble because <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to do the bible up in here. She comes back with a book and very different than any book is it's like it doesn't have a title. It's just there and it's worn. And she opens the book and I could tell there's names and little notes next to them. And she said that book was given to her by her mother. And she said that book held the names of people that her family as Hungarian Jews knew that they could call at any time of day or night when it happened. And she said everyone should have a book, a book with names, a name of someone you can call no matter what, someone to call that's going to be there. So I'm telling this story to the woman who has a copy shop near my house in the Lord District. And we both as women said, in that book, 
We're both moms. I said, I hope my children know that my name is in that book, their book, as long as I'm breathing. And she said she hopes that too. And she said to me, I want to share this story to my children, my grown children who sometimes we don't agree. I want to remind them that there is a book with my name. Thank you for listening. I've been your host with myself telling you stories. Javelin Richards on Cover to Cover. Until next time, be well. KPFA listeners, we are counting down the days until the Craneway Crafts Fair, KPFA's annual holiday benefit, December 16th and 17th from 10 to 5 p.m. in the gorgeous Craneway Pavilion on the Richmond Waterfront. The fair features 200 booths of original arts and crafts, fair trade vendors and nonprofits, festive food and live music. Find us at CranewayCraftsFair.com. There has been an awesome response to our call for volunteers. We could still use your volunteer spirit Friday and Sunday afternoon and evening. Join our team for a fun way to give back to KPFA and contribute to the success of the fair. To sign up, email volunteer at kpfa.org or call Kim at 510-848-6767, extension 244. See you at the fair. You are listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF 88.1 in Fresno.